Welcome back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. This is episode 73. This episode is with performance coach Shane Murphy. Shane came on to talk about his transition from going from a full-time employed um, role to freelancing. And we dived into all the sort of different elements and challenges that Shane's faced in that transition. We spoke about managing the individual within the team setting um, and also the differences now that Shane is able to work individually with players a little bit more. We talked about one thing he can do now more than what he could have done before. And we also spoke about preparing players for the transition to first team. So uh, under 18s, under 23s, stepping into that first team environment, what do we need to be wary of um, and the sort of approach that Shane took with those players getting them ready for the first team environment. So it's great to speak to Shane. There was loads of great content in this one, so I hope you take plenty from it. Um, there's loads of interesting discussions around that transition from employed work to freelancing, which I'm sure many people will find really interesting. So that that's how we sort of kick off the episode. So listen out for that early on. Um, and I hope you enjoy the episode with Shane. Please do us a huge favour, like I always got asked, please share this episode, get it out to as many people as possible, send it out to friends, family, colleagues, anyone that you think will benefit, and then also an iTunes review if possible. Head over to iTunes, click the five stars, leave us a short comment. Uh, it'll mean the world to me, and it just helps to improve the popularity of the podcast and just make sure that we can keep good quality uh, guests like Shane and all the other people that we've had on recently um, coming over the next few weeks. So a big thank you again for listening and here's the episode with Shane. Welcome back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. This is episode 73. I'm delighted today to be joined by Shane Murphy. Shane, how are things with you? Good, Ben. Thank you. Thank you for having me on, mate. Appreciate it. Not a problem, mate. It's great to have you on. Um, do you want to take us straight in? Let's dive straight in, Shane, into where you've been, what you've been up to, and what your current sort of role looks like. Yeah, so I I graduated 2010 uh, with a degree in sports science and then a master's 2012. And then kind of working experience, started off in UK athletics, uh, then moved into Cardiff City, and it was kind of football from then on, really. So Cardiff uh, for a season, pretty much. Then on to Blackburn Rovers. Uh, Blackburn Rovers for three seasons. Then Liverpool for a short period. And then uh, Man City more recently. Uh, in that time as well, I was with the Welsh national team. They're under 23s, 17s and uh, 19 spots. And then since uh, 2019, I decided to, to leave uh, Man City. And I've kind of set up my own company. So I'm a director of that. And work in freelance in football uh, and, and a few other things also. Awesome, mate. So let's dive into that because I think that'll be really interesting for practitioners on that that different approach and the the freelance or the self employed role. So first of all, what was what was the decision that led to that? What was the reason behind it? Yeah, I think it's a it was a long a long process. I have to say, we're talking about eighteen months at least to maybe maybe two years. Um, this sort of idea was in my head for a while, trying to figure out what it, what it looked like. It took me a long time to, to get there. But um, yeah, I just, I just thought the whole idea of going out on your own, having a bit more autonomy in your, in your work and, you know, a bit more variety, if you like, kind of intrigued me. 
but I wasn't making any quick decisions too early. So I kind of took my time in deciding uh, where to go with it. And then I reached a kind of a pinnacle when, when there was an opportunity there for me to do more uh, consulting with uh, an international team. Um, so now I work for uh, the Scotland uh, national team. So from international breaks, I'll be working with those squads. So that, that kind of opportunity, and then also with the CFG, working with them, it was a nice narrative to leave full-time football and still work for the City Football Group. And that opportunity, that wasn't there initially, of course, but towards the end it was, which kind of confirmed my my plans to to take that step out. And it was that along with just a new challenge I wanted. And then also... A personal life was sort of uh, was a time when it needed change as well. I was doing the long distance thing with the fiance as well, so it was kind of that 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 pulling me across. <laughs> so with all those things involved, the thing with the opportunity, with the with the more autonomy, with a bit more variety, and then personal life, all those things combined, I think, was sort of the the reason, the big reason behind the, behind the move. But it was a long process. It wasn't something I thought overnight. Um, and I think as well, my journey was nice in the sense that when I did hand in my notice at Man City, it was a long time before I actually left. So I think it was around May time when I spoke to the guys there, uh, Mark Bitcoin and a few other staff around my decision. They were they were excellent, really. They were really um, accommodating with my decision. And it actually took a long time before I did leave. I, I handed in in May and people at Man City still joke about it. I dragged it out to September and then I finally left. And that was nice because... I started working with different squads with the with the women's team, so I spent the, my full preseason with those guys with Nick Cush and um, and all the girls there at the, at the in the team. Uh, so fantastic kind of exit, if you like. So I got to experience a lot more than I had done in my in my in the last seven years. So it was a re- and and to have the consultancy still happening now is is a really nice narrative. I think you know that that journey is still kind of going on in a sense. So yeah, that was sort of if that helps if that paints the picture a little bit no definitely and one thing I want to dive in with um with you a little bit in a little bit is the the difference between being in that employed role and being sort of out of it looking in from the outside but just to start with in terms of the the self-employed role the freelancer now what have been some big challenges that you faced yeah the biggest one, I think, is is acceptance. You know, like, I, yes, I took a while to decide that I was leaving, but it took me a while, I think, to accept that I was, I've was i left. I think football or, or maybe elite sport gives you some kind of identity that, you know, you, you do things repeatedly and, and it becomes part of your arm or part of your, your life. Excuse me. So, like, I, would, I remember my first month, I was waking up, in, in, you know, in the morning and going, which pitch am I on today and stuff, like a bit bizarre, the whole thing. But I think a lot of that, the first thing I think is acceptance, you know, of that you are actually out of full-time role, that 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 life that you lived for eight, 11 years or so, whatever it might be for people, is changed now. And I think it's kind of understanding that is the first part of, of the of, of the psyche, if you like, behind it. But then you leave behind, what I what I would summarize, is leave behind a secure job because it was kind of more academy. Uh, there's a lot more consistency in that role because you kind of know every day what, you, what you're trying to do. At least you know your roles and responsibility, even though there's a lot of inconsistencies with, with, with some roles but and it's also predictable in, in a way that you knew every day you had work you know whereas now you swap those three things for something it's definitely a little bit a lot more variety it's probably more exciting I would say because it's kind of like unknown um, and it's a bit more holistic like it's not just a sports scientist now an SNC coach there's a lot more things that I 
I do now than than just um, my S and C stuff that I've learned over the years. So there is there's definitely trade offs and there's pros and cons. But I think the first part of it all is just the acceptance that I'm I'm not a, a full time employee anymore in football. So that's the first thing I think to to, to take from it. But there's also there's so many other things that it does give you. Um, yeah, it's probably the way I'd summarize it really. Yeah, I think that's great, and I, I honestly think this is something that all coaches can take away and they need to listen. I think they sort of need to listen carefully about what you're saying because you're talking about the pros and cons of both sides and there are pros and cons of both sides, aren't there? But you have to sort of relate it to your situation as well, don't you? It's not to say that everyone should suddenly go into the freelancing role or everyone should stay employed at a club. You need to look at what's happening and then decide and, and take your time and make the right decisions like you have. Yeah, I, I don't think there's any harm in, in, in thinking of either if you're a freelancer going into football and vice versa. But I definitely do think you need to be there mentally to make that move because, as I said, I took a long time to think about it. But it wasn't until the end when I was really going, no, this is the right thing to do. It, it was a long, long time where I, I, I debated whether it was the right thing. Sometimes I still do, but I think more often than not, I, I feel comfortable with what I what I decided to do. But it takes a while to get there. Yeah, you've got to be like a year ago, we'll just wind the clock back a year. I was not ready to leave. Uh, you know, if I, did, if I had taken a move in and all the same things still happened to me that when I left, I still felt there would have been some un, uh, uh, stones unturned because I felt um, towards the end of my, my time at uh, Man City that I'd kind of had learned uh, a lot enough about the role to, to kind of make the next step. Now, I didn't know what that step looked like initially, but I felt like another year of doing the same thing wouldn't have added as much to my my development as, as maybe something like this had or a move progression in in the environment or something like that might have might have been different. But I certainly did feel a challenge was 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 looming, and that's what kind of made the push initially. So I think you definitely have to be there, like just saying, "Yeah, I'm going to do this." I think ad hoc will leave you a little bit. Um, you know, it's not a long time to think about it. It's, it's, you know, you need some strategy. You need some clarity over what you're going to do. I don't think you should just go, yeah, I'm going to try this now and see what happens. It's, it's not a one where you see how it goes. I don't think you need to have some kind of a strategy when you do it, I think. Yeah, definitely. And I want to take you back now to when you were employed at the club. And we're sort of going to look from two different perspectives. So when you were employed to now... So let's start us off on when you're employed, how you sort of looked at the the role of the freelancer um, from being employed at the club. And then also let's let's sort of go vice versa as well on how you how you relate to um practitioners in clubs now or work with players now. Yeah. Yeah, so so currently, like I said, I was a consultant for CFG and work with the national team for Scotland, but then and, and I'm actually a lecturer for now, Satanta College is fantastic. Three things that I was really like looking forward to getting. And But the other side of the things is I started to work with uh, athletes individually. So I started to see athletes, you know, who are in clubs now outside of uh, of that of that remit. And I certainly was in a position where I'm in City where I saw it happening. I saw this trend happening where players would seek external advice or external resources on things. And you know, it really did annoy me at the time. Uh, you know, I definitely saw it as a challenge, but I probably didn't accept it enough as a challenge at the time to go, this is really happening. It was more of a, and I think it still happens, it's more of a brush under the carpet that this isn't really occurring, but it, it certainly is. It's a trend that's definitely happening. More and more players are doing it, whether they're more open about it or whether they're closed off about it, I, I'm not sure, but 
it's definitely happening. Um, and, you know, I have a few players that I, uh, I work with now. And I think the biggest thing for me is that I think the, uh, there has to be a relationship, one with me and the client, which would be the player, but also the, the club. I think, I think if at any point that if I'm uh, the antagonist to the player and I'm, not, I'm pulling the player one way and the club is pulling the other way, that's the time for me to step away. And I think that's the time for the external people to maybe step away because the more important thing is, is the player and then the club that he's with, you know, and then where secondary or third or whatever it is, the peripherals are, are after that. But I think if there isn't a, a nice relationship with all three parties, then, then I don't think it works as well. So obviously I have empathy because I was in that role for 11 years. So I see the importance of uh, a good relationships and, and people pulling the same way and pulling, you know, rather than just trying to, kind of devise their own ego or their own strategy when I'm a player that can be the detrimental to the player I think um so yeah having been in it it's nice to know what it is the real world of football is like what these players go through but now having been out of it I'm seeing a lot more of the life of a footballer because the life of the footballer in the football world in the football scene is probably 20% of everything there's another 80% that's happening and I'm more privy now to that so I see things from a a larger lens now that have been out of it and, and, and been more involved in the player's life, I guess. Um, so I think it's important that now I, I, I remember what I've been, where I've been. I remember what it's like to be in that role and try and spread yourself uh, individually with one player across 25. It's almost impossible task. So I definitely know what it's like in football. And then now I know what it's like outside of football a little bit, what the player goes through. So I think if I can be that extended arm of the staff that are there to try and get messages across to players who I'm currently working with, then I think that helps. Um, but if that isn't there, I don't know if it's the best plan for the player. You know, if there isn't, if I don't have empathy or I don't have a relationship with a team and then I'm trying to do this strategy with a player, I think that's, that's, not, what, that's not what I want. I'm looking for um, a relationship where if a player does want external advice and I am that person, that then I have a relationship with both the player and the staff. But also there's so many other cogs that I was not aware of in a player's life now that I see that I can have an influence in, you know, and 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 actually improve the player's lifestyle outside of 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 his you know daily routine. I think that's important. That's one of the wins I've I've had, I guess, from seeing a player outside of that environment. And obviously, coaches will listen to that, and they might be employed at clubs still. So, is this something that you'd you? What advice would you give, basically, to them in that role to take that into consideration, or is that only sort of available to coaches once they do step out do you think it's it, that's like a time issue and something that you're not necessarily able to to tackle as much when you're employed yeah well I think there's a few things I think when you're employed in a club it's all consuming it's very demanding role you know you 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 only see the player when he comes in and when he leaves it's very hard to kind of manage them outside of there and you know we said already excuse me, how difficult it is for staff to monitor player, 25 players or maybe even 30 players and see what they're doing every day and manage the peripherals inside their work. So their, their meetings, their deadlines, their whatever else it might be, program design and, and everything else. So it's very hard for a staff member employed in the club to have an influence outside of here. But I guess that's when you're working outside with a player outside of the, of the, of the environment he's in, then I think you can definitely have better influence what isn't there at the minute is that link between the practitioner who's full-time at a club and the external guy that that player might have like I only have a few players I mean I only have like four or five um, that may grow but there's other people who got 
10, you know, so, and I know that they don't have a relationship with that guy. So I see it, I seeing the other world, if you like, and I'm looking at the connections and there isn't a lot of connections between external guys and the player and in the, and the club. And I don't know why that is. I don't know if it's two way or a one way or, or, or whatever, but it's certainly a trend that is happening. And I think it's better that we recognize it as opposed to try and avoid it because I mean, Ronaldo started it. I mean, I think Tom Brady did it in the um, in his sport and in the NBA. LeBron has his own team of people. Ronaldo has his team of people. And it's just filtering down. That's what's happening. So it's a trend that is growing. Um, and I think it's it's better to to jump on the wave quickly and and see uh, and, and, and I suppose build a relationship with that guy because, you know, we all know there's, there's some mad stuff going on. So it's better, I think, having a relationship with the, with the external guy in the club. And, and so and the, and the external guy needs to take responsibility for having a relationship with the player. Um, so, yeah, I think it's both ways for it to be a, a cohesive program. Yeah, I certainly think it can be done very well, can't it, if, if the right relationships are in place. But on the flip side of that, it can be done quite poorly in that they're both sort of fighting their own battles and there might be a bit of ego involved and you just, yeah. you can see that side of it as well, can't you, where it could be a bit of a slippery slope. So that's what to be wary of. Yeah, I think so. I think it's it's about everyone recognising, and as you said, they're taking the ego out of it and just recognising why it's happening. Because a player... A player might be at a club for two years and then he moves on and it's a new SNC he meets and it's a new philosophy he meets and it's a new... Because if you went around all the clubs in the Premier League, you'd have a different kind of philosophy everywhere. So from the player's lens, it's like, which one's right and which one's wrong? You know, they might have the same principles behind them. But to the player, it's not the same and it's different. And so, and the same with Masoors. I know a guy who's had a Masoor his whole career and, and, and still has him now he's retired, you know? So, and he's Masoor followed him everywhere. And that was like a small kind of example but I think that's happening more and more often so I think if people can recognize the why it's there it's maybe because the player wants a bit more consistency more continuity um, then I think I think everyone kind of benefits from that an external guy recognizes that look I'm not the most important guy here the club is and the player is um, and then and then the player recognizes that look I can't be my own entity I'm, I'm employed by the club so I think all parties need to understand the, the why and, and and I think once that is there um, I think it'll be a better relationship, but I think right now it's very early days in it. Um, but it's definitely happening, you know, more than more than I thought. So, but uh, yeah, from being outside now, I see it more often. And I know it's not the majority um, of your business in terms of one-on-one work with players. You've got a lot of other side of the of, of the business going on. Um, but in terms of your role when you're working with that individual player, how would you sort of summarise it? Yeah, um, I think I have to know a lot of information first. I need to know exactly what the player does on a day-to-day basis, what's his training status, uh, what, you know, physically where he's at. Um, there's a lot of things I take into account. And then I guess it's about me finding the gap. Where can I make the biggest difference with, a, the, le- with the less disruption to his programme? Because if I'm just working in silos in isolation, then I could do some damaging work to the player. It's a, it's a very sensitive place to be, you know. It's a very, um, you've got to recognize a lot of variables. But I think you can have a big impact. I mean, the impact might be lifestyle. The impact might be around his nutrition. The impact might, might we're not talking just about S&C programs. Where, you know, we might be. We might be talking about movement deficiencies. We might be talking about... Um, limitations that he has in, in his hips or something there you know there's a variety of things that 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 it encompass but I guess 
um, I, I, I'm, I'm always trying to consider what am I, what am I adding and where is the gap uh, in the program and then try and fill that gap as opposed to trying to layer up on what he's already, I mean, if he's already got a good S&C program, then I don't need to interfere with that necessarily, you know, but then if he's got a good uh, pre-ab program, I don't need to necessarily interfere there, but if he's poor lifestyle, he sleeps badly, he has coffee at eight o'clock at night, he, you know, all these kind of things, then there's an avenue for me to have an effect without, without being disruptive. So I think that's the kind of thing about it. That's the, that's where I, I look at things. I look at the gap with the least disruption um, would obviously the biggest bang. Yeah, definitely. Like you said, it's, it's filling the gap, isn't it? The, might, the approach might be different for each player depending on what they need. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So it's each player and it's each uh, situation and it's each like status of their in. I think off season then becomes a real important time, and I think that's where you, if you had a good relationship with a club and you have a good setup and you can kind of instill some of the stuff that they think it's imperative a player does. If you can provide that in say an off season camp for a player, which is something I'll be looking to do in the future, then I think that's a good relationship, you know. And you hand the player back to a club having done X amount of that and you can quantify and qualify everything that they did. And, you know, I think that's a harmonious uh, relationship that I would like to have with, with clubs and players. You know, I think if we're all after the same thing, there's no reason for us to have any, you know, conflict, you know. So as long as we put our egos aside and just not try and um, put in stuff for the sake of putting it in, you know. So, yeah, I think I think it, it can work. I think we can make the best of the scenarios. And I, I don't know if it's a, it's a good or, or a good trend or a bad trend, but it's certainly a trend happening. And uh, I think the ones that um, work with it the best will, will come. I'm, I'm talking about everyone um, will, will benefit the most from it, I think. So just a quick update on our, on some updates that we've put onto our on, online community recently. We've uploaded the video of episode 72 um, with Jared, the last episode with the Heads of Sports Science from Stoke, Jared, um, where that is now available on YouTube. So you'll be able to search for it on YouTube, but we've also uploaded it onto the community so you can actually watch the podcast as well as listen to it. Um, and we are going to be doing that a little bit more with a few future episodes as well. There's obviously the the previous webinars that I've talked about as well, but they've gone down really well for the people that have listened to them so far. David Johnson, the uh, sports scientist down at Bournemouth, Academy Sports Scientist at Bournemouth, has done a superb webinar on growth and maturation in youth football. Um, and then also Tony Tompas, physiotherapist, um, previously of Wigan, St. Johnston, Aberdeen, has done an awesome presentation as well, webinar on hamstring rehabilitation in professional football. So you can go and check all of that out, as well as all of our previous network meeting presentations um, from coaches like Tom Little, Will Abbott, Adam Kerr, um, there's loads on there. So go and check that out, Football fitness, uh, footballfitfed.com, and you click the community tab at the top, if you sign up there, you can you can claim a free month on the community just to see what it's like. Check out all the information on there um, and get access to it free for a month. And then going forward, it is only £4.99 per month. 
So if you leave it running, you get all the future content that will be coming, future webinars, when our network meetings are able to kick back in again, when, when we're out the other side of this virus and we're able to meet up in groups again, um, all the presentations from those future meetings will be going on the, pre- on the community as well. So you get access to all of those to watch on demand too. So go and check it out, footballfitfed.com. Click the community tab, sign up there, and I will leave you with part two of the podcast with Shane. Yeah, because if you relate back to your when you were previously in that full time role, if you got a player back in a pre season period and you presented with a lot of data on what they've been doing in the off season, and you you sort of get the the picture, obviously that's going to be a benefit to you, isn't it? Yeah, massively. Yeah, so that that kind of did happen towards the end, like. Um, I try to be more proactive in the approach. I knew certain players just had this guy in Spain and this guy in Portugal and this guy in Norway or whatever. And I tried to build a relationship with them and I go, look, this is what program we've been working on with him. I'd like to if he continued X, Y, and Z. I appreciate that you'll do your own thing. And that seemed to work well. And, and, and we got players coming back in the shape that we were looking for, having done X, Y, and Z that we were looking for and not coming back in doing like, you know, whatever random stuff that they were doing without any sort of process. Not to say that external stuff is always bad. It's not, it's as far from, I think there's some really good stuff out there as well. I think there's some really good practitioners doing some good stuff, but um, it's got to be, it's got to be in the context of the player, you know, where he's up to and what he's doing. So it's a very, um, you know, it's an interesting kind of area. As I said, as you mentioned before, it's not the biggest part of my business, but it's certainly a part um, so I think the best way to do it is to try and have that relationship, as I said, with the club and the player. Um, yeah. And if we go back, Shane, in terms, because what I wanted to ask was the approach you took in terms of when players were transitioning, that pit, that really key period of sort of might be 18s, 23s, but then transitioning up to the first team, going from that development sort of phase onto the performance side, where did you where did you see that your role fit with those players? Yeah, that's uh that's I think that was a really uh cool part to the role, I think, uh 23's level, anyone who's in that development age at the at the upper end of it. It's an interesting one. I, I think what's happened over the last number of years is that that transition of sort of uh academy football or towards the end scholarship year to now making your debut has accelerated. I think that transition period is a lot shorter. Um, I don't know if players are making the debut earlier. I think it's around the same, but maybe some are making it earlier. But what you are finding is that players are now being asked to do more at a younger age. Like I think a stat uh, that came out was Jaden Sancho. You know, he made his debut maybe around the same time as Messi and Ronaldo, but he's played more games as a 20-year-old than both those had done. So he's played more games at 20 than Messi played at 20 and Ronaldo played at 20, which is a really interesting trend. You know, the, the debut is the same, but the demand and the the pressure put on younger players is more. So that transition is happening quicker. Um, and I think uh, there's a few, there's a few things that were, that made the job, uh, that may make your role a little bit better is that you, you understand the environment they're going into. That's what I was always, uh, that's what I was interested in. So what environment were they going into? So if they were going into a Premier League, into the championship, into uh, Holland or France or Germany, whatever, try and get some key variables from that role or from that uh, environment that will help you. So if, a right back in Bundesliga does X amount of running typically and has to do some amount of sprints and all that. You can quantify all that quite easily. And then how many games a week does he have that in? So, okay, recovery strategies are going to be important if it's a game every five days or if it's a game or sorry, a couple of days or if it's a game every week, then, you know, less. So 
Um, there's other things to work on. And, and it's all these things. I think you can know the environment. You can know where you are now and know what the gap is and then like try and bridge that gap quickly because as I said to you earlier is that they, they leave 23's football a lot quicker now. It used to be a longer period, maybe four years, maybe three years. But now, you know, we've had players and you've seen players play 23's football for a, a short period, like a year or maybe 18 months or even six months and then go straight into the first team. So how have we positioned ourselves to try and get the right conditioning into that player or the right development into that player so he can withstand, as we said, like Jaden's example, more games at a first team level. So maybe the the star has to come sooner. Maybe the maybe the transition has to come lower down because we know now 18's football is going to be the, next, the real steps on the first team, which is going to almost skip EDS. Um, Phil Foden, who plays for our, you know Man City's first team, he almost skipped out 23's football. He went 18's, but a little bit 19's, and then went into the first team environment. So how do we get him ready for How does Man City get players like that ready? How does Liverpool out? I think it's happening sooner. We can quantify things, and we can also do it from a technical, tactical point of view. We can also see leagues that's a bit more demanding physically, or they're more long ball, or they play different formation. And we can quantify that thing. But the other, the other thing that was really important is the mental side of it. And that's something that we don't know a lot about. And I think uh, psychology is quite a young uh, profession, if you like, compared to physio and compared to sports science. I think it's not so far down the track yet. But I think we play a a massive role in developing uh, kids to try and tackle the environments that they're going into. So we can't replicate the environment for sure. There's no way academy can um, replicate first team football. It's almost impossible because... There's so many external factors that actually make it an authentic first-team football that you can't put in. Like, you can put up signs and you can pretend it is, but you can't make it the same way and the pressures are not the same and stuff. But what you can do is you can um, you can have strategies whereby you can get players to think a little bit more on their feet and understand that they're not they're not the finished article. Because too often I found with the, with, the young, with the young aspiring footballer is that they almost believe that they're the messy already. They almost believe that they're Ballon d'Or winners tomorrow, you know? And it's sort of set up to, like, see themselves on a high level. And what that does is doesn't allow them to be open enough to accept that there's so many things they need to work on. So they go into an environment where the demand isn't now development anymore. The demand is now just play for a first team and win. You have that, which I don't... Doesn't, the first team shouldn't apologize for that because that's what they live on and that's what their bread and butter is. But if a first if an academy player goes into that environment and hasn't that mindset of i'm going to develop myself then why are, uh, what will make them and what will motivate them to keep working on their weaknesses and if they go into that environment and they're already not quite doing it and then the trigger is not the best facility i'm not saying it is always but maybe it's not the same facility or it's not the same demand put on gym for instance is a good example so First team's got a lot of games. They may not do a lot of gyms as much as academies do, but you know this player needs to work on a certain area of his S&C program or whatever to make him, that gap is going to be there and something going to bite him in the, in the ass in the future if he doesn't work on it. So how do you implement those kind of mental mindsets when they go into the first team? So we tried to do things like um, create environments where you know we had nice facilities um, and we would we would makeshift the gym with very limited equipment to go right. Here's a here's a gym you're likely to to get at this 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 club that you're going to on loan with. What can you do in here, and how can you write your own program to get out what you need to get out of it? That's what we're finding now a little bit with programs. How do SNCs kind of program for lads who are not in gyms or in their own home? So we're kind of being resourceful, and I guess it's it's transmitting that resourcefulness to players or that 
kind of open uh, idea that I'm not a finished article and here are things I can work on and improve on. The analogy I, I like to use is like, if we're, if, if the players are like, uh, so like I lived in Manchester for uh, a number of years and uh, if you ask me to find my way to somewhere in Manchester, there's not a chance I could do it. And why? Because every time I would want to go to a place, I'd put it in my GPS and I would just autopilot all my way to there. To there. I never had to navigate. I never got lost. So I never found my way. So I, I don't know what streets are and which, which turn to go on. I think that's the same for young aspiring kids. If, if we always become the GPS for them, we always become the navigators. Hey, this is what you do. This is what you do. This is what you do. Because we want development to be accelerated. Then we're missing the point that when we, when we remove ourselves from their, their equation, they don't sometimes have the coping strategies then to, to think for themselves. Because, you know, I, I'm sure SNC coaches are finding it now. They go, right, can you do, I've often asked the players to do warm up on their own. And bizarre what you find. Like, I'm like, I never, I've worked with you for four years. I've never done an exercise with you once. Like doing roly polies. And I'm like, where does that come out of? Like they might've watched, I don't know what, where it came out of, you know, like random stuff. And they, don't have to think for themselves so they don't make mistakes so sometimes i think we have to be less of the gps less of the navigators and i make them a little bit lost and 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 you know we have time in academies to contradict myself a little bit on the time stuff but we have time to to kind of make that journey a little bit more autonomous as opposed to just telling them everything you know what they need to do and i think that that is a big part of it is that transition to first in football getting them to to think for themselves a bit more yeah, like you said, it's a it's a real sort of timely discussion, that isn't it? Because at the moment, obviously, we've we're in the sort of peak of the coronavirus, and players are all stuck at home and stuck with very limited kits. So it is a real test, especially of those academy players. On right, well, we will guide you a little bit and do as much as we can with you, but you're by yourself, so you need to be you need to have that toolbox, don't you, to be able to. They need to be creative in what they're going to be doing at the same time. And that relates, like you said, when they're in a first team and go out on loan or whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a difficult time for everybody, of course. And it must be really hard to manage a, a group of, of players who may not be motivated at the best of times. But now they find themselves in an area where they have to motivate themselves a lot because we don't know when the switch is switched on again, we don't know, are we going back into just regular football again? Or are we going back into a mini preseason or what are we doing? No one knows what the end result looks like. So you kind of have to prepare for the worst case scenario. And I think as, as negative as it may be, um, I think there's a positive connotation to it all as well. As the first time ever, we have a real opportunity to work on some area of weakness. Now, okay, we need equipment to do that. We need coaches to do that. We need a lot of things to do that. But rather than look at the kind of constraints, I think, from the athletes that I'm working with now, I, I use it as an opportunity to work on areas that we couldn't work on before. You know, there's, there's, there's times in season where you're just getting through games and you're doing recovery and I've said the strategies before, but what, what a perfect time to work on something that you couldn't work on in season, you know, so you can improve many areas now. It's almost a blank canvas for people. Um, so there's definitely areas, but yeah, you're right. The players need to have a bit more autonomy it's now challenging them because nothing's nothing's taken care for them anymore so they still have to get up they have to have a routine they have to self-regulate they have to manage uh, uh children they have to manage their their spouses uh, everything you know they're and they're they're cocooned in home you know so it's very must be very difficult for them mentally so you know that's a that's a big challenge but it's certainly a time to work on some area of weakness for sure 
Yeah, definitely. And you just hope that the players are using that time because this is unheard of, isn't it? Like to have this period, all right, we have an off season, but it's not the longest in the world. But this period now, like you say, the battle through the season is the constant games recovery, games recovery, isn't it? And trying to find that that window, if there is a window at all, of being able to work on any sort of physical attribute. And this is the time, isn't it? Yeah, it's a, it definitely a time. It's every and 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 for for not for one second am I saying it's a, it's a easy to solve uh, conundrum, but it's definitely an opportunity to do something that maybe you wouldn't have done before. Now, how you strategize that and how you come up with the techniques for that is a, is another thing. But um, I definitely think you know it's probably no better time to work on a weakness, you know. Um, so, and I suppose there's players that would have missed out on, on this season if the season does kick on again that, you know, we're injured and stuff and then getting them back to, you know, so for for some people the door is closing but from others it's opening but I definitely think that globally I think it's an area, it's a time to work on a weakness for sure. There's no better time to do it than now. Yeah, awesome. And I know there's some stuff that you can't touch on yet, Shane. It's possibly something that we can jump back onto a podcast in the future and, and go into in a bit more detail but, what what does the next few weeks, months, possibly up to a year look like for yourself and, and the business? Yeah, so um, I, I'm very fortunate to have, like I mentioned before, that, that continuation with CFG. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to, to more of that. Uh, I was fortunate enough to be with New York City for the last eight weeks, or sorry, from January to February. I was with their, with their first team going through preseason. And that was an amazing experience for me, you know, um, a very challenging environment, but a very uh, developing environment to work in. The manager is excellent. He's a, he's a great guy, Ronnie Dyla. He used to work for Celtic, a really inspiring character. And it was a, it was great to be over there with him. I came back and I was in, um, in it was in India for six days with, with Des Ryan and Satanta College, just developing a kind of a syllabus for their SNC coaches to develop because they're, it's an interesting one there in India, like a cricket Cricket, I don't know cricket. Like uh, I've done the worst for cricket. I've never really watched the game or anything. So why I was there telling the Indian cricket, the home of cricket, almost to, to how to do things was a bit funny. But I guess it was more about the principles of SNC because they have a they have an interesting kind of um, thing at the minute where SNC is not a protected term over there. It's quite a new um, field, so you kind of get everyone and anyone being an SNC coach. I was kind of trying to filter out the good ones and filter out the, the better ones and developing ones and the ones with open mindset and the ones who are really kind of struggling to help everybody, really. It wasn't, a, it wasn't an escape goal exercise. It was more of a, trying to evaluate everyone, see where they are and trying to put them on a development plan. So that was a really exciting thing to do, you know, to help coaches out and then to, to kind of shed some experience that I've learned over the number of last number of years. So that was kind of a really nice thing to do with Satanta. And, and then off the back of that, I'm now a lecturer for Satanta College, which is nice. So CFG, the Scotland uh, national team, which is a really exciting thing. Unfortunately, obviously didn't happen with the, with the break. Uh, sorry, the, the international break didn't happen because of the virus. But um, those three things are really sort of the cornerstone of, of what I'm going to be doing over the next number of, of, of months or years, hopefully. Um, but then also you find yourselves in weird and wacky places. Like I, uh, I went into a school recently to talk about performance culture within a, like a private school that was, was once one of the best schools uh, around, but now it's like found its way down to pecking order. So how does, how does the environment change or what things need to be in place to, to improve that? And it's kind of like what we're trying to achieve in some of the places I've been is like, how do we develop performance culture? What are the things we need to change? What are the things we need to develop? 
or as a mindset, like little things that make a big difference, that kind of thing. So that was that was really cool. I, um, so with those things and then around the players, there's many, there's certainly an exciting time, a lot of variety, I would say. Uh, but on the negative side, you know, there's insecurity. I don't know exactly what it looks like, you know, and this is the reality of a freelancer. You know, it's not like it's predictable and it's dependable. I've said some all good things there, but I've had countless times where you're, you're chasing things, you're setting seeds, you, you know, you're getting rejections. There's, there's plenty of that. As much as there is amazing things that I'm doing and I'm really excited by them, there's also things that don't happen, you know, that you, I would never talk about. You know, I'm not posting anything on any bad news. You know what I mean? Um, so, um, no, but things are really uh, are really exciting over the next number of years. I think Scotland is a great one. CFG is, an, is, a, lovely, is a, a lovely kind of story, if you like, being at Man City and moving on and, and still helping out, you know, some top guys there that I really enjoy working with. And, um, and as I said, St. Andrew College is, is one of these universities that has, or colleges, sorry, that has a, a faculty of practical experience. And it's not just academic. So that's what really interested me working with those guys. It wasn't just all, not to say anything wrong with academia, but uh, it wasn't all just academics. It's, it's, it's a real, uh, there's a real like line of, of practical experience with that. So learning off some really good, you know, Ian Jeffries is there, Liam, Liam Hennessy, Des Ryan just to name a few and uh you know they're great guys to learn off and be part of i think so yeah this it's sort of that's i don't know if that summarizes your question but that's kind of that's the short term if you like the long term who knows right now maybe we can have another one in the future and i can explain how you know how the dots lined up but um but yeah that's it for now i think no that's top mate and and it is the 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 sort of self-employed world isn't it like we can we can set rough plans but it's a case of adapting and um creating opportunities utilizing relationships and all these things that we spoke about but i think you've we've summarized a really good um perspective from both sides in the episode in terms of being at the club employed and the options and the sort of things you've got to take into consideration for people that are working on the other side and vice versa as well so Really appreciate you doing it. Um, in terms of people contacting you, Jane, is there anywhere in particular if they've got questions, if they want to reach out, maybe advice on their current situation? Is there anywhere they could they could do that? Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, great time now. <laughs> got loads of time on my hands. Um, but no, uh, LinkedIn, uh, Shane Murphy, um, uh, Instagram. I'm, I'm an influencer now. No, I'm definitely not. Uh, so uh, SDM performance uh, and the same on Twitter as well. So yeah, I'm happy enough to talk to anyone if they got specific questions on anything. But um, yeah, uh, feel free to get in touch. Awesome, mate. We'll really appreciate your time. And uh, hopefully all this, all this uh, virus clears up soon and we have a better perspective and get some football back. Yes, yeah, yeah, that'd be nice. Yeah, thanks, Ben. Appreciate you having me on, mate. Really thanks, Shane. Yeah. Take care. Thank you. Take care. Bye bye. Huge thank you to everyone for listening to the podcast. I hope you enjoyed the episode with Shane. I, I certainly enjoyed uh, chatting with him and discussing everything throughout his career so far. But I think some of the, the biggest sort of takeaways for me were his chat around the transition from employed work to freelancing. Um, I think there was some great advice from Shane on some of the sort of challenges that he faces currently, but also the thought process in that transition as well. Um, So recognizing when it is the right time. Um, It's not necessarily like we spoke in in the podcast. It's not necessarily the right thing for everyone right now, but can we recognize when it is potentially the right time in the future? Um, Not rushing into it, 
So, yeah, Shane, I think Shane covered that really well in the fact that it was something that was probably in the back of his mind for a while, but he knew that um, his role at that time, I think, he, I think he mentioned in the podcast that he said a year ago, a year from this point, um, he, was, he wasn't ready for it. And he recognised that fact that he wasn't ready for it, but now it, things have changed. Um, so it was being very, very self-aware, really, of the situation. I think that was some great advice for coaches to take on board. Then also the chat around him recognising the difference between being in that role with a, with a team and working, being able to step back and looking from the outside, working with players on a bit more of an individual basis, the fact that we realise how much goes on into a, in a player's life. So it's not just training, it's not just football even. There's, there's a lot of other things that go on and we need to sort of take that into consideration and I thought it was great to chat with him around the, the comparison of what advice he'd give to himself in that employed role from, from what he's doing now and vice versa as well. So hopefully many coaches can sort of relate to both sides of that, whether you work in the private sector um, or whether you are full-time at a club or, or part-time at a club, but working with a squad of players. Um, I think there were some real key takeaways. And then the other one, which I know Shane said in the episode, he didn't know if it was a bit, bit of a daft analogy, but I thought it was great in terms of the GPS with players. Um, I think he touched on the fact that he lived in Manchester. And I was the same, to be honest, working in Manchester, you go to and from work. You don't know where anywhere is. Um, if you do go anywhere, you use a GPS. And we don't want to become that for our players. We want to give them the toolbox that they're able to adapt to situations. And we've talked about this current situation being a, a real test of a, certainly a, an academy players program in the fact that we're removing them out of a, a certain environment, but also taking away kit. We're taking away any um, coaches. And it's a real test of how they keep themselves pre- prepared for the game. So, for me, this is one of the episodes that I think there was so many takeaways from it. Um, and I just think coach, I hope coaches switch on to the fact that some of the discussions that Shane had and, and some of the experiences that he discussed in this, I think they were so valuable to coaches of all different levels, levels and all different sort of situations in their career so far. Um, so huge thank you to Shane for, for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate his time and it was great to chat with him. You can go and follow him. He's on Twitter at SDM performance um, and I'm pretty sure it's the same on Instagram as well so go and give him a follow you can check out the work that he's up to um, on there and I know he's got loads of good stuff coming coming we had a little chat offline as well he's got some great work coming up too um, so I'm sure he'll be sharing some of that when that when that kicks back in um, so yeah big thank you to Shane for coming on and big thank you to you guys for listening as well really appreciate all the listens hope you're enjoying the extra content we're putting out at the moment Get, keeping up with these two shows a week just while we're in this lockdown period trying to give as much content as we can while coaches have got a little bit more free time hope you're keeping up with the two shows a week um reach out let us know what you think any recommended guests let us know um and like i said at the start of the episode if you do have a couple of minutes please head over to itunes leave us a five-star review and a short comment that would be really appreciative we have got another episode coming this week another top episode um so we'll speak to you later in the week